You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to a Tuesday special edition of the Yanks Go Yard Podcast. I'm Adam Weinrib alongside Thomas Carinante and the Yankees greeted our week with a special announcement. Number 21, the warrior Paul O'Neill is getting his number retired in the Bronx August 21st this year. If the Yankees are there, if the season's happening, I'm going to be there. I'm sure you will be too. And of course, because there's no news this time of year, that announcement, instead of a bunch of congratulations, set off a torrent of people questioning the the numbers and the impact and the history of Paul O'Neill. And so we're going to start there. Because where else would we start? We're also going to talk about the latest updates on the lockout, which are actually somewhat promising, question mark, knock on all the wood ever produced by mankind uh, and by nature. Also, Aaron Judge, if he does not stay a Yankee, where is he going? We'll do a little bit of a deeper dive there. And the Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson stuff that's floating around. You've heard us talk about it all offseason long. But now it seems realer than ever that Freeman's going to leave, and it's not just us saying that. Folks, make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, drop us a five-star review along with the mailbag question. We will be more than happy to answer it. Drop us questions on Twitter. We're going live there and on YouTube, 2 o'clock Eastern time every Monday and Thursday, typically all off-season long. But on Tuesday today, because you know, what are we doing on Monday? We're celebrating presidents. Yeah. Obviously, we're not going live. None of you are. You're all enjoying your... You're all building shrines to your favorite president, um, you, you know, doing whatever you do during presidency. So obviously you didn't have time for the Yankees. We have time on Tuesday, though, so we're here. Thomas Carinante, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Paul O'Neill, mm-hmm. number retired. Uh, I love it. Um, and to all the people out there who are questioning this, who are not Yankees fans, I just would like to know how you have not learned up until this point. You've seen enough mob movies. You've seen enough, you know, crime thrillers where enough people were telling you to mind your own goddamn business before it escalated into something else. This has nothing to do with you. I understand why it might seem a little bit excessive. The Yankees have a ton of numbers retired. I don't have them here off the top of my head. Um, and then you probably, you know, were weighing an A-Rod retirement at some point because of his value to the franchise, despite all the other things that have clouded his career. Um, 
But hey, you're going to sit here and complain about somebody else's number being retired when it has nothing to do with you and somebody else, some other franchise just has fewer numbers between one and 25 to wear. Um, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Paul O'Neill was, you know, he nicknames the warrior for a very good reason. Um, he was my favorite Yankee for a time. Cause I was an angsty young kid and I loved, you know, throwing my bat up against the cage and kicking my helmet and all that type of shit. And, uh, when he would throw his helmet down the first baseline after grounding out or something like that, it just, it got me going. I'm like, great. This guy's pissed. He doesn't want to fucking get out. He wants to keep it going. And now, and now he's continuing his legacy as a Yankee in the booth. Um, and whether or not you like it, he's been there for a good while. He provides great intrinsic value to uh, the broadcast along with Michael Kay. Um, and he has a longstanding legacy. You talked about what we were discussing earlier today that nobody wears the number. Nobody has worn the number. Latroy Hawkins wore it for what, a week? Got booed by the fans. This is the greatest form of democracy we have here. The fans do not want to see anybody else wearing Paul O'Neill's number. They have made it clear. The Yankees have responded. I wish they would respond to some of our other overtures as fans, but maybe we have to wait for that. This is a good example of them doing so, and we can go through Paul O'Neill's stats that you know might have fans questioning his, uh, his uh, I guess, stature of having the number retired, but it's well worthwhile. Um, but you know, you, I know you have a lot of feelings about Paul O'Neill before we dive into the numbers and actually m- make this uh, uh, an argument for all the haters. Um, I want to know what you have to say. Yeah, my favorite Yankee of all time. Um, and it's not like, you know, it has for me, it wasn't that he inspired me to, you know, act out or, or throw my stuff or hit a Gatorade cooler. I was never doing that. So <laughs> I was like, that, he didn't make me do that. He just inspired me to see somebody care that much. So like there, there yeah. was somebody out there on my favorite team who was that passionate and, and could go that far beyond. And, and unlike maybe unlike you, it's not like he and I, it's not like I saw myself in him. It's that, you know, I sort of lived out. Um, you know, it wasn't a fantasy I had. It was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe that somebody cares this much. Um, you know, and if I care even half as much about anything that I do as, as the amount Paul O'Neill cares about a random August game in the middle of 1997, like, I think that, you know, is helpful motivation. No, you know, no, we're not endorsing anybody going overboard. We're just saying that it's good to have passion. Yeah, you are. Uh, but <laughs> it's good to have passion about your day job. Yeah. Um, and Paul O'Neill was a participant in probably the single greatest honorific that any Yankee could ever hope to receive or any athlete in any sport. When he was in the outfield, it was very clear his career was winding down in the middle of game five of the 2001 World Series. The entire stadium uh, chanted his name, Paul O'Neill, and did his role in the roll call. Um, you know, it echoed. It, it has enough of an effect when, you know, 200 weirdos are leading it in the bleachers. Um, you you magnify that times you know twenty or thirty and have fifty thousand strong at the old stadium chanting Paul O'Neill. Um, you know most of our World Series memories, most of our Paul O'Neill memories are, are October related because the Yankees were in the World Series every year ninety six, ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand, and two thousand one. It's only natural. Um, but I will remember Paul O'Neill getting cheered off the field in Game Five just before the Yankees, by the way, tied it and won it. They were saying goodbye because they thought they were about to go down 3-2, go to Arizona and lose it. They did ultimately lose the series, and, and Paul O'Neill's final game was a horrific walk-off. Um, but, of course, after that, the magical moment did occur, and the Yankees did tie the game and win it late, um, you know, spurred on perhaps by the crowd. Who knows? I don't know. But, um, you know, as, for as much as we remember O'Neill for his on-field exploits, the walk that turned the 2000 World Series, for instance, he hit 470 during that World Series. He hit David Ortiz level. The Yankees didn't hit at all in 2001. By the way, that 2001 World Series Yankees team was like the 2021 Yankees. Nobody could hit. Regression across the board. You look at the average in that series, everybody's in the 100s. O'Neal in his final playoff series ever hit 333. So you remember him for the activity. You also remember him for the postseason moments. uh, Rolling over the pile in 96 with that fist pump hitting the ground. It's the iconic enduring image especially if you want to forget John Wetland, which I do. Um, In in 99, he played in the World Series basically directly after the death of his father. And in 2001, of course, we sang uh, from all corners of the stadium, thanking him for what he'd done. He came to New York in 1993 as a 30-year-old. I don't think a lot of people remember that. He's not somebody who was an established star who signed with the Yankees either. It was a shrewd trade. It was damaged asset for damaged asset. It was... Roberto Kelly for O'Neill. O'Neill was thought to be, I mean, O'Neill was an all-star once in Cincinnati, but he was thought to sort of be 
you know, light power hitting out 15 homer, 260 hitting outfielder, not valued as highly as he would have been in today's game because, uh, you know, we didn't have the OBP love that we, we had, you know, yeah, that what we have now, you know, O'Neill's a better money ball player than he is a non money ball player. But again, O'Neill, the numbers were not really overwhelming until he hit 27, 28. Um, as a younger man, you know, he hit 16 bombs, 73 ribs, 252, 306 OBP in his age 25 season with Cincy, 15 <clears throat> homers, 74 ribs, 276, and a 346 OBP the next year, 270 and 339 the next year, 91, age 28, his all-star season, 28 bombs, 91 RBI, 256, 346 uh, OPS plus of 127, and he's finally starting to look like himself. But then right back to 101 the next year. That's when they yeah. trade him. He goes to New York. His first season in New York hits 311, 367. Still not necessarily the sabermetric darling. There's a lot left on the table. But the next year, 94, 359, 460, 1.064 OPS, 177 OPS plus in the season that never got completed. That was his first of four all-star appearances with the Yankees. That was his first of four top 15 MVP finishes with the Yankees. And from that point forward, he basically epitomized, you know, 20 to 25 homer power, Kind of unbelievable looking at the stats from the steroid era, knowing that he never got to that next level. He never had an outlier season. He never had a Brady Anderson year where he randomly hit 46 homers. I think that tells you all you need to know about O'Neill. A doubles hitter, the likes of which we don't really see in modern baseball. Um, you know, 35, 42, 40, 39 doubles from 96 to 99. Um, he, he was a guy who got on base. He rarely struck out under 100 times almost every season of his Yankees career. Struck out 103 times in 1998, but I won't hold it against him because that was 1998 uh, and the team won, I believe, 385 games. Uh, But O'Neill was as good and consistent. He was like a leveled up Tony Gwynn with the Yankees. He made every play he had to in right field. You remember him in the 96 World Series, too, on one leg, making that running catch in the gap on Luis Polonia's fly ball. Uh, deep into the night in Atlanta to steal that one nothing victory. Um, I-, I could talk all day about these these bigger moments, but it's the little moments that stand out to me. It's being a kid, going to the game, watching him give 180% on any given day, uh, and that effortless chop into the right field seats. I just I, I, I think I saw more Paul O'Neill home runs than anybody else hitting home runs back in the day. And it was just it, – I don't know how that swing worked. He swung down on fastballs, found the porch – um, and launched them anywhere from, you know, th- that 350-foot laser to like a 430, 440-foot just absolute rip into the right field bleachers, uh, a completely inexplicable swing. But again, whenever he hit the home run, what did he do? Head down, run to first. Um, a beloved player, we can talk all we want about what it means to have a number retired and how many numbers the Yankees are running out of or whatever. Um, but they didn't get, like you said, they did not give O'Neill's number out. Yeah. He, 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 Latroy Hawkins got number 21, for two seconds and got booed ruthlessly until he gave it up. Um, and if you're not going to do that, then, you know, you can argue the semantics all you want about what it means to have a plaque and what it means to have your number retired. And O'Neill already has a plaque. Why does he need this? And isn't this some cheap ploy from ownership to get people to remember the nineties? Sure. But I also think people should remember the nineties. And if you're not going to give O'Neill's number away, which you're not going to do, you've never done it. Then what's the harm in retiring and giving Yankee fans the opportunity to celebrate somebody special. Now we're going to have another day like today when the day comes to retire O'Neill's number where Orioles fans and San Francisco Giants fans and Texas Rangers idiots crawl out of the woodwork to say, was Paul O'Neill really that good? What should we retire Rusty Greer's number now? And the answer is fucking sure. But you, do you guys love Rusty Greer? Then fucking absolutely. You should also retire his number. Like there is no limit on celebrating your own players especially in a year when baseball has taken so much away from us. It's been so annoying to be a fan of baseball. I'd rather be pandered to and remember the good times with Paul O'Neill than not have something to look forward to. And that's where it stands for me. Uh, yeah, I agree. And there's intrinsic value behind beyond statistics. Uh, players offer a certain, a certain, a, a, a different aspect in, uh, to, you know, what the fans love to see and what the fans love to hear. And Paul O'Neill was a leader in many ways um, he was the guy that always like I always think in my head, like, how was he so reserved on these broadcasts? Because you watched him play. You understood how much the game meant to him. And we're kind of watching these uh, once. I don't want to call it the players, but like it's kind of lackadaisical effort. You don't know what's going on. It doesn't seem like there's the necessary energy that 
is required to like get the Yankees out of these inexplicable slumps that they've been in over the last two years. And he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't go all he's, he needs the game in my opinion to like get revved up again and understand. And that's what he loved to do. And that's how that fire is brought out of him. But in my head, I'm like, how is this guy not looking at this team being like, what is going on? Um, And he offered that and more because look, this man played for the Yankees age 30 to age 38 seasons and he didn't have, like you said, he didn't have a, a good career up until arriving in New York. So that second half of his career is absolutely incredible given the circumstances. And on top of that, I understand he was probably a very much could have been a product of his environment. Yankees had very good hitters. He was protected in the lineup. But what happens if you don't produce and you're one of those guys protect, protected in the lineup? You're regarded as a schmuck. You're regarded as an irreplaceable piece that the team should get rid of because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And Paul Neal did what he was supposed to do and more. And I would love to know, I don't know how to crunch numbers. I don't know how to do any of that. But if someone could do some sort of cross-reference here and let me know of players who have played in 85-plus postseason games um, and have hit 284 with an 828 OPS and won four World Series, I don't know there's many people like that. And I don't know if there will be many more people like that. So that's that's a big reason why um, it's it, the value here for him is beyond belief because look at all that and consider all those numbers and you're talking about someone who's elevated the game from his own standpoint based on the situation he was given and it's hard to deny that. So look at the numbers, understand the value and what the fans appreciated from him and it's a completely different story. You're not allowed to tell me you want all the modern Yankees to play like Paul O'Neill, and then also you don't want to retire Paul O'Neill's number. Like, yeah, and we need we need a little nuance here. Like, I, I can I can understand saying this might be a stretch. I didn't expect this. I didn't expect this. My first reaction oh. to look at it, I didn't even realize his number was being retired at first. I just saw that he was going to Monument Park, and my first reaction was he's already there. He already has a plaque but oh oh okay i guess it's on the 21st because i i legitimately thought we were just rehashing free and like let's have another day for paul o'neill and i was like okay i mean that doesn't make any sense but i love him so i'm not gonna argue and then i realized what was going on i mean it definitely it took me aback i I was not ready for it but any opportunity you have to celebrate a legend like this i think you take it you run with it you don't have to buy the commemorative hat like there has to be somewhere in between you don't need to be the money grabbing fan you need to look at this uh, it, you can look at it cynically if you want, but like if you're excited about the Paul O'Neill number retirement, you don't need to be all in buying the program, buying the hat, getting front row tickets, and calling up all your closest friends to go tailgate Paul O'Neill Day. Like you don't have to be all in, you don't have to be all out. You could just look at it and say they're not going to give the number away anyway, and let's celebrate someone who embodies what it means to be a Yankee, as far as we know. Um, us '90s kids are in a very strange place where. We know him as a consummate Yankee. We did not know him as a Red. All I know, he world champion with the Reds. Yeah, by the way, and he, world <laughs> champion kicked a baseball to first from right field, an iconic highlight that ended up on all the blooper reels when we were kids too. But we basically know him from that. Like I know him as the guy who flamed out in Cincinnati and kicked a baseball to first base, and then also, you know, just so happened to eventually be my favorite player of all time. Uh, it's also worth noting Paul O'Neill's first playoff series of all time, the 1990 NLCS with the, with the Reds against the Pirates hit 471 in that one too. Uh, so 474 ended up being his playoff series high. That was the Subway series. And get this, he didn't hit a home run in that series. He walked three times, OBP 545, no bombs. Just nine hits, two doubles, somehow two triples. I don't really know how that's possible. I like it. Um, I like it. I do. And by the way, when I'm saying all this, you don't have to buy the merch. You don't have to buy the programs. You don't have to buy the commemorative hats. I'm going to do all that. Yeah, like, I'm going to buy the shit. Yeah. I'm going to buy all the shit. Like, I, I will do it. Um, <laughs> you don't have to. I will. I, I love this guy. And I, I can't wait to celebrate him. He's never getting in the Hall of Fame. We can have Hall of Fame discussions about Bernie Williams, and we should. He mm-hmm. should be in. So should Kenny Lofton. Not biased, just accurate. You can have Hall of Fame conversations about David Cohn. He should probably be in, too. This also brought up some interesting discussions of, if the Yankees are doing this, um, you know, obviously the level up is you get a monument that happens posthumously. Mickey Mantle has one. DiMaggio has one. They haven't done one in a while. They're going to do that for Yogi Berra while his family is still here. They probably should. Yeah. They're going to do that for Whitey Ford. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone else, I'm not sure if anyone else in Yankee history 
until I don't even want to say when Derek Jeter passes away in like 50 years, hopefully he will get one. Um, but I don't think there's anybody in between who merits that unless you want to do it for Yogi and Whitey, which you probably should. Mm-hmm. Whitey's family is, of course, extreme. Whitey passed away well over 90. Um, you know, the, the families are getting older there. So you got to act there, too, if you want to do something like that. But I, again, if you know, if you're a fan of another team and you want to have an argument, just tell me who your favorite player of all time is. Sure. And if it's like if it's if it's your franchise's best player then that's fantastic. Good for you. You have boring tastes. Um, but if it's somebody more unique, like your Paul O'Neill, and someone told you they were going to honor that person with the number of retirement, you'd probably be very excited. The Mets are doing it with Keith Hernandez. Paul O'Neill is a better baseball player than Keith Hernandez. I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's it. Another quick thing to kind of debunk why people should be opposed to this. Other people talking about this in opposition are like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of taking the shine off the greats of, you know, Ruth, oh, yeah. Maggio, and so-and-so. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Some of those, a lot of those guys played pre-integration. A lot of those guys played postseasons where it was just you leapt to the World Series and that was your postseason. A lot of guys played when um, pitching was a lot different. When you were, you know, if you want to talk through a pitching lens, you were pitching much more frequent than five days. You were throwing complete games with regularity the uh, the physics behind pitching wasn't what it was today. The athleticism was not as elevated as it is today. So, sure, in a sense, you could argue that it's taking the shine off what Babe Ruth did. Babe Ruth hit 614 home runs or whatever it was, and Joe DiMaggio had a 56-game hit, uh, hitting streak and all that. But there were other elements that allowed those guys to be as good as they were, and we're not taking anything away from them for playing under – their uh, circumstances, Paul O'Neill played during a portion of the steroid era and was a very good player. I talked about, I, I tweeted the other day about Bernie Williams because um, I don't think it's fair that we're excluding players during the steroid era from the Hall of Fame and then not including the guys who succeeded and did it cleanly. If we're going to keep guys out because of what they did, why are we not letting guys in who managed to uh, maybe, okay, cool, maybe they beat the system and didn't test positive. I don't know, but they didn't and they succeeded, and they never had that controversy surrounding them, whereas we're, we have mere controversy surrounding a handful of people, and we blackballed them. So why don't we have a greater argument about what guys accomplished in their roles in a certain time period and appreciate all of it? I don't think that's out of the question either. I don't think this is taking shine off what other people have done um, in completely different eras and time periods. It just is what it is. Paul O'Neill was a certain person in a certain time period that was – that, that was admired by millions, and that's that's the value there. That's the intrinsic value, and that's where that's where the Yankees are reacting to how they know the fans feel about this. And I give them credit for doing it because I didn't think that this I, this wasn't even on my mind, like you said, not even a consideration. And I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably right. I like that. Um, but, yeah, there's so many different ways to argue this. There's so many different angles to come at it. And at the end of the day, it's just appreciate good baseball players for what they contributed. Um both on and off the field and just as a person. Um, And it'll just be more fun. The world will be more fun. I promise you. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. Ted, wake up. What? You look exactly like me. I am you, Ted, from the future. You need to call Progressive. What? Why? Well, they have 24-7 protection when you bundle your home and auto. And my teleportation cube just smashed into your car. Wait, you crashed into my car? Technically, it's our car. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. If it's taking shine off the other players, then you're doing that. Like yes. it's, it's not doing anything to Babe Ruth's legacy. You're just mentally doing that because you feel like it. And again, it's a lot of 17-year-old fans of other teams. It's the same generation who makes like endless meme videos out of Nestor Cortez Jr. going six innings, two earned runs in the middle of July, being like, we'll never get back here. Like, never forget when Aaron Judge hit a walk-off single to beat the White Sox on April 12th. Like, I, I actually will forget that. And if you grew up with like real moments, then you've already forgotten it. Yeah. So it's important to remember these legs. You just, again, you can't get mad at the current team for not living up to old legacies. And then when they're like, let's celebrate old legacies, you're like, fuck this. I love the current <laughs> team. Okay, what are you talking about? Um, so let's just do, I, I could talk about Paul O'Neill for 700 more years. Yeah. Let's just do a couple quick hits because we do have some news items and, and hopefully we'll have more for 
you on, on a couple of these on Thursday. Um, let's do the lockout update first, just because we're making genuine progress, it would seem. I don't know. I'm not in the room. Um, and I'm not going to make sweeping generalizations and proclamations. But after we yelled at everybody last week and said, you're making unserious offers if you are barely responding and if you're not inching anything forward from the, the league side or the player side and if you're raising pools that you agreed were already too large or and everybody was already mad at everybody for doing that and basically as soon as we said that the two sides announced they were going to meet every day this week to start genuine progress and monday's meeting was extremely long it wasn't quite as long as maybe some of you believed it to be because about three hours of the five or so hours they were together were spent in separate rooms with the MLB side and the MLBPA camp in different rooms going back over things that they had talked about. What we heard on Monday was they didn't make great progress on the CBT threshold, the luxury tax stuff, which is basically this whole thing, but they did make, you know, free agent bonus pool money and they're putting different money in the pot. But anything that keeps them in the same space, talking seriously amongst themselves and amongst the, the group as a whole for five hours is positive progress. And again, they announced last week, that they were going to meet every day in the interest of moving things forward. I don't know. That's no guarantee. They could have shown up on Monday and had a 20-minute conversation and said, we're still too fucking far away. We're, we're not even going to, you know, we, we said we were going to meet five days a week, but we came and saw each other, realized we hate each other, and decided <laughs> we were not going to do that. Like, you, you just don't know. Um, so that the, whatever, five hours on Monday did lead into Tuesday pretty directly. Now it's Tuesday. They're meeting again. Are they going to get a deal done today? I doubt it. They get to get a deal done end of week. I certainly don't know, but it feels like they're making genuine progress. There's a trajectory here that there wasn't last week. And now they're beginning to listen to some people who are saying we are losing games here. Is anybody okay with this? The owner side, do you hate baseball enough that you're just down to lose games? The player side, are you willing to sacrifice your career after already losing a hundred games of your career in 2020? Mike Trout's numbers are never going to look like what they should because he should have 100 unblemished games on his resume. He already lost 140 hits, right? He's not going to get those back. Does he really want to lose more after rehabbing all of last year? He's hurt. Nothing is guaranteed. Nothing lasts forever. Who blinks first? It seems like both sides might have blinked at the exact same time last week. I hope so. But once again, I don't care. I don't care. We don't know. I don't care until there is a result. Um, once again, they should have been doing this a month and a half ago. Probably not, you know, if they had any sort of brains or any sort of initiative here and weren't worried about waiting for somebody else to blink or relinquish their position, these talks would have began after New Year's while everybody had a nice little month off, holiday break, spending time with your family, not worrying about the free agency and the and um, the trade market rush that happens every December. Um, you could have viewed that as a positive if you're both sides. Hey, look, you know relaxing off season. We have plenty of guys out there who still need jobs. We can get the talks going right after the new year and we'll get to it. Now they want to accelerate the talks seven ish weeks later. Um, so uh, it's, 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 it is what it is. I'm not, it's, it's a bit of a slap in the face to the everyday fan because you've alienated plenty of people at this point. Um, you know, readership online about stuff just continues to go down. People don't care until there is a result. Um, I am glad that they're meeting more. Um, I am not going to sit here and tweet about it positively because it's something that should have been happening all this time. Um, and just because they're meeting more doesn't mean they'll be making the necessary progress that we need them to. They're still far off on the arbitration bonus pool, even though some progress was made there. They're still very far, far apart on the, uh, the, the luxury tax threshold. Um, so I don't know how and I don't know many of the other main economical aspects that are affecting this argument. You're talking about TV revenues and splitting that. You're talking about just merchandise. Like, I don't know what else is involved. I don't know what the greater scope is. So there is a lot to talk about. There's a lot to them. There's a lot for them to sort out and get on the same page with. And both sides need to know where they are willing to um, kind of give in a little bit and they need to know both sides need to know where both sides stand and in addition to themselves. And that's how this is going to be a more honest negotiation. Um, I'm happy that they're targeting the February 28th, 28th deadline that they've set for themselves, but spring training's already delayed. Um, we're still going to see a mad unnecessary rush for free agent signings and, and uh, stuff on the trade market. 
Um, so that's not going to make the game any better. It's going to make it a little bit more hectic. It's going to affect your team, whether you're a Yankees fan, whether you're a Red Sox fan, whether you're a Padres fan, everybody's going to be adversely affected by this. Um, and this is the owners doing, they decided not to talk to the players for over 40 days after instituting the lockout. Um, and it's still disappointing whether we're having positive updates or not. Um, and there will be no celebration from your boy here until, there is a ratified CBA for I don't even know however long it's I hope it's a decade just so we don't have to deal with this shit again at least mm-hmm. um, but that's where I stand hey glad more and more meetings are happening glad that positivity is at least you know seeping into the media where whereas over the last two and a half months it was largely negative discourse um, so that I guess helps your brain if you're on social media all day and seeing these updates. Um, and we are, and we'll see what happens. That that's it. Literally it. I love when positive stuff is seeping instead of negative stuff, though. Like seeping, that's usually like toxic waste, <laughs> sludge, you know, TMZ links. When it's when it's positive seeping, that's usually good. <laughs> Open sores. I mean, a lot of bad stuff seeps. Uh, so it's good when good stuff seeps. Uh, now to the first base battle. Yeah. Royale. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, look, I, I don't want to talk about this for more than two no. minutes. I, I honestly wish we had a timer on the clock. We have I'll so many, we have so many podcasts titled Freddie Freeman, question mark, Matt Olson, question mark. I mean, that's what happens during an endless offseason with an extra 75 days of inactivity. We thought the Yankees were close to Olsen before the, you know, December 1st deadline didn't happen. We thought Freeman was a long shot. Became less of a long shot. Dodgers started getting in the mix. Yankees started getting in line. Yankees leaked they were going to make a run at him. Was it all posturing? Who knows? On Tuesday, uh, rumors are emerging. Buster only was the one who dropped it, saying that Freeman is less likely to be a brave than ever before. That really, they, the two sides have soured to the point where we are now closer than ever to his departure. And when he says something like that, it does make me think, is that going to be the first domino? to drop when we actually, when this lockout ends and it becomes very obvious that different parties were talking all along, breaking the rules. Is it going to be like, is Freeman going to be like a day one move? I I don't know. And accompanying that Freeman rumor saying he's more done than ever with the Braves in the wake of, by the way, Chipper Jones saying they're disrespecting him and Brian Snicker saying, I don't know if I'm going to have him or not. I, you know, we haven't talked. I don't know what the hell's going on. He's a great player. I hope we don't lose him. You're also getting Matt Olson. We've obviously talked about Olson and the Braves because if they lose Freeman, they don't want to just fail. They will surrender their prospects. They will trade Christian Pache and some other dudes for Matt for two years of Matt Olson. Might be a better player than Freeman at this point, but he costs a lot of prospects. He's not an icon. He's a Georgia boy, but he's not an icon. We're also all of a sudden hearing the Padres and Matt Olson. So commensurate with the Freeman stuff saying he's further than ever away from Atlanta, we're now getting an increase in Olsen stuff. These guys are going to be connected all offseason long when the offseason begins. And, and that really does make me wonder, though, how long is that going to last? How long is the pairing going to last? Can the Yankees wedge their way back in here? If they were so close on Olsen before, they're really going to give him up to the Padres, who last offseason proved that they're one of, like, three teams that cares. So if the Yankees want to be involved and prove they're, like, one of four teams that care, they're probably going to get involved on Matt Olsen or Freeman uh, I, I love spending money, so I, I could get behind Freeman. I don't want to give up prospects if I don't have to, especially if the A's are going to be thirsty. But it does make me wonder, how long are these guys going to be paired? Or is it just going to be curtain up on the offseason and then Freeman's gone like six hours later? Yeah. Nice. Two minutes and 12 seconds. Um, I'll oh, add, great. Well, that's all I have to say until next time. I'll add yeah. 45 seconds here. Um, a lot of things, a lot of moving parts here that we have to consider. Will the Yankees pay that money for Freeman? $30 million AAV could potentially be more. We know the Yankees historically to enter free agency bids later in the game uh, because agents love to jack up the price if they're in it earlier, mm-hmm. and then that screws the Yankees over. Um, you talk about Olsen. Padres are entering the talks now. Padres have a very good farm system. A's are going to look to leverage their power as best they can. Braves have a very good farm system too. And some players that are at the MLB level that can be controllable for five, six years that might interest them in a faster retool. So, and the Dodgers are very much interested here. If you didn't see Justin Turner's tweet about Freddie Freeman, um, potentially joining the team, the the, the players are on board here. They are commenting on what's going on. Um, So I don't know these, both of these scenarios seem it's possible that the Yankees could get outbid or they just don't want to pay the price that they're looking at. Um, And that's going to be somewhat understandable because this is what we kind of have to live with. This is what the organization does. This is who they are. Um, 
So now start start getting start start looking up Eric Hosmer, man, and start researching his deal. He's mm-hmm. under contract for four more years. The Padres are willing to eat some money on that contract, um, and they're willing to include a, a between a top three or a top five prospect in any deal for Hosmer. So if the Yankees can, you want to talk about best of both worlds here? They're going to have Hosmer get money eaten off his contract. He's a twenty one million dollar hit next year, and then thirteen million dollar hits through twenty twenty five. Um, and they're going to get a top prospect in return, and they're not going to have to surrender much at all for him. That can you that you can see them reasoning and being like, okay, we still get a lefty bat. He's still a good glove. He still hits. He can hit for power. He was his metrics last year were promising, even though he got robbed and didn't have that good of a season. Um, and he's healthy all the time. He's missed like forty eight games since twenty fifteen or something crazy like that. So um, get ready for it. It's going to be a possibility. And if you can get a top three prospect there and flip that over for something else and not have to take anything from your farm system, you know, Brian Cashman's going to value that. So if the, the Padres are actually looking at Olsen and they need to clear a first base spot, I'm not ruling us out. I think it, I think it could be smart. I, I don't, it's probably third on the list or fourth on the list of first base options for me, but if you're looking at a best of both world situations where you're getting better at first base and you're mitigating the risk, I think that's it. I'm always looking at a best of both worlds situation. What other kind of situation do you, do you want to live in? A, a worst of both worlds, a, a best worst of exactly of one world. One world. Yeah. yeah. Best of one world is okay, but I'm, I'm looking for both baby. I mean, come on. I don't want to end a podcast that started with Paul O'Neill discussion and, and honorifics in this way, but we can briefly talk about Aaron judge. Um, who I don't think people gave that interview. People both overreacted and underreacted to that yes. interview. It was very weird. Um, you had people being like, Judge says he's done with the Yankees. And and not surprisingly, every rival fan was like, how do you feel about Aaron Judge saying he's basically done with the Yankees? Which he didn't, did not say that. You want you wanted him to say that very badly. And so you're sending us links that make it imply that he said that. But, yeah. You know, he, he did say, I would love to get a, an extension done. By spring training, I would love to be the captain. If I'm not the captain, that's okay. And if I don't get that deal done by opening day, like I'll, it might be the end for me. I'll, I'll look around. It's, you know, it's been nice. I have a lot of happy memories. Is he saying he's done? No, but could he have been done? He, he might be done. He, he might look elsewhere. Somebody else might overpay him. Um, and and again, that's where the underreacting comes in. I think a lot of Yankee fans, Aaron Judge was like, I might go somewhere else after the season, and Yankee fans were just like. Cool. Off season, off season talk. It's like <laughs> that's a little more, a little more explicit than it's just off season talk. Like overrated rivals went crazy, but like underrated in the Yankees community. I think we need to talk more about Aaron Judge doing an interview where he talks about leaving the Yankees. And so we did come up with a few destinations for Judge. I think these are the ones to look out for if you're worried about him departing, just to prepare everybody and also to say that we had it first. Everybody's got the San Francisco Giants, yeah. So we're not alone there. He's a Bay Area native. He's not going to the Oakland A's. It's that simple. Like there are two teams in the Bay Area. I don't care if he grew up an A's fan. They're not signing him. They're deferring his contract to 2059. Um, the the A's are getting laughed out of the room. If and if the A's want to sign him, you know what? Great, cool. I would be happy for them if they did. They just they won't. So we don't need to think about it. And the other two that feel relevant beyond the Giants, uh, the Seattle Mariners who frankly are my number one destination because they've proven they're willing to spend. They are close to contention, really, like genuine contention. They have not made the playoffs since 2001. Since their record-setting win season, they have not made the Major League Baseball playoffs, which are getting easier and easier to make. They are laying out the red carpet for wildcard teams. They're adding a playoff team in the new CBA, probably. Or I don't know if I don't know what I'm crossing my fingers for, but – Probably they're adding a new playoff team. There's going to be like a, a choose your own adventure wild card round where you pick your opponent and stuff. And it's all home games. I don't know why owners want to lose playoff revenue, by the way, considering it's like all home games. So if you finish fifth, sixth, or seventh, you're going to lose all those gate checks. That should theoretically wake up some owners. I hope that's the lesson they take that maybe edging into the playoffs isn't what you want. You actually want to dominate so you can get those home playoff games and get that money. Um, but the Mariners have not been to the playoffs in any form in an eternity and Mitch Haniger is expiring. They have an opportunity to very clearly just go and just flip Aaron Judge in there, who Mitch Haniger, all due respect, Aaron Judge is, is a top 15 player in all of baseball, maybe top 10 at his peak. And then the Cubs, you also posited because it seems like they're ready to do something crazy. If they're in Carlos Correa and they've set themselves up with all these cheap contracts and teenagers and prospects coming of age, why wouldn't they want to return to relevance next offseason with Aaron Judge? I don't see that one quite as much as I see the Mariners, which, again, is the most 
natural fit and the Giants, which is a sentimental fit. Um, but any of the threes do seem very possible to me. Yeah, I like their payroll situations too. For most of these teams, the Giants are not the Giants have spent very little this offseason and a lot of the rumors surrounding them. They're not going after big guys. I think the the most connectivity they've had to anybody is say a Suzuki, 50, 60 million dollar contract. Um, Giants are not in on they weren't in on anyone really big prior to the lockout. They let Kevin Gossman go. Um, they made additions with like Alex Cobb, Alex Wood, and um, uh, Anthony DiScalfani. They brought back two of those guys and just made the pitching staff a little bit deeper instead of going after the star names. So I think they're waiting for something bigger. Um, whether it's Judge or not, they will be positioned next offseason to do something significant. Cubs, same type deal. Jason Hayward, they're talking about de-emphasizing his role. Um, I know he signed through 2023, but if he's your fourth outfielder and is a defensive stalwart and can still hit from the left side of the plate and be somewhat, you know, it's looking at like, it's similar to an Aaron Hicks situation with us. It's like, is he a starter? I don't know. He can't really stay healthy. And when he is healthy, he's like up and down. So we're not sure. Yeah, great. We'll just pay him a bunch of money. He'll be the fourth outfielder and he could fill a multitude of spots. Um, Mm -hmm. And they need a star. They need, they need a bonafide star player. I think, um, and I, I judge with the universal DH too. If you want to take judge off his feet, if that's going to be a thing, I think it's even more valuable for NL teams and Mariners, same type deal. They signed Robbie Ray before the lockout. They traded for Adam Frazier. They're gearing up for something. They got some guys coming off the books after this year. That's going to save them some money. Um, and you know that they have the capability to spend when they want to. Um, and if this is a move they want to make, I think they're totally capable of making it. Um, I, I don't want to see Aaron judge go to any of these teams, but I think, if he hits the open market um, teams, I think these three teams are the, the the three to look out for because of their situations, because of what um, they need to accomplish or because of what they were expected to accomplish and didn't um, the giants kind of got the giants underwhelmed after the 107 win season. Um, they're kind of out for revenge. I guess if you could say that or out for revenge. I thought you were saying out. I was like, out? No. They're done? No, yeah. they're, they're out for revenge. Um, yeah. You got the Mariners who haven't been there in forever, and they need an impact move to do so. Um, and then you got the Cubs who kind of, one could say disappointed. You thought that core was going to take home at least one more World Series, and then they were yeah. they were outs after that. Um, they didn't even make it back. So they got Marcus Stroman for two years. They got Kyle Hendricks for, I think, another two or three years. So the top end of the rotation stuff is there. Um, you got some younger guys. This is this is the move you make. I mean, uh, Jed Hoyer is, was working under Theo Epstein for quite a while. I think he knows what the blueprint is to be successful. You get all the guys up that you need to get up. Um, manage the uh, service time as best you can without being scummy. Hopefully we're not being scummy after this next CBA. Um, and then you bring in the big guns. You bring in Aaron Judge for six years with an insane salary, and that's 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 what you do. Um, and that's the blueprint a lot more teams should be taking um, with or without the necessary spending power. All these teams are worth over a billion dollars. You can afford a $300 million contract, dude. It's totally possible. Um, so, yeah, I think those – and because of – I think the Cubs, all these teams have very – they're well-recognized throughout Major League Baseball, getting getting on the map even more with a player such as Aaron Judge, who is – what was I, I – I was listening to something the other day I forgot who it was, but they're like, who do you think of when you think of baseball players? And like Aaron Judge is like top three in there just because he's a giant man and because he wears a Yankees jersey. And I know the Yankees advertising does that a lot, but like if Aaron Judge is a giant man and is a former Yankee, like he's still going to be an icon wherever he goes next to, to, you know, Mm -hmm. he's not going to disappear off the face of the earth. He is – He's a he's a larger than life type player. Obviously, unless his injury troubles persist or his bad luck with injuries persists, that'll be a different story. But Aaron Judge is well recognized by younger fans in this game and everyday fans in this game. So the impact he has for marketing and for selling tickets is even greater for these types of teams too, who need to bring in the more and more more and more money to supplement the the amount that they're spending for these contracts. So that's another thing to think about that I didn't really. I didn't really keep in the back of my mind. Like if the Yankees lose Aaron judge, they're losing a lot of ticket sales. I don't think correct me if I'm wrong. And this is no slander to any other Yankee on the roster, but Yankee fans are not coming to watch Giancarlo Stanton. A lot of Yankee fans do not like Giancarlo Stanton. Yankee fans are not coming to watch this pitching staff because it had one good year. 
The pitching staff has not been good for a, lo- a long time. A lot of these other players who regressed, the, the fans are not too happy with them. Fans go to the ballpark for Aaron Judge, and that's kind of the end of the story. Um, so that's another that's another aspect of the whole conversation that people might be forgetting. I don't think he's leaving. I don't think they're dumb enough to lose the ticket sales and all the merch that they're selling for him and all the uh, the adjacent advertising um, opportunities that exist. Um, but hey, I guess anything's possible. Yeah, they they built him a section. Mm-hmm. You want to you want to tear down a section that you built? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think the marketability again. It's some of it's Yankees related. I don't think it's all diehard fans of Jersey Mike subs. <laughs> I don't think that's why Aaron Judge is one of the most popular players in baseball. But yeah, you, you're right. It, you know, wherever he goes, if he goes somewhere else, he will be former Yankee Aaron Judge. You will remember him because of his stature, his physique. He will be a massive star in this game until he turns 36. 37. I don't know when it winds down. I don't know when it ends. And a universal DH could be a huge help. It's possible Judge has one more big deal left with the Yankees, turns, you know, a six year deal or something like that. And at the end of that, he wants to be a perma DH. They don't want it. And he goes to the National League and finishes his career. And it's weird. I just think you're going to want to extend this relationship with Aaron Judge a a little while longer. And you have enough money to damn the torpedoes a little bit and say his production goes down in four years. It shouldn't hinder you. No. It, it really shouldn't. It, I mean, it should hinder you because you would be losing a top 15 baseball player. Mm-hmm. His talent would be decreasing. That's not good, but it shouldn't hamstring your payroll. You should be able to get this done, yeah. especially be, the way John Carlos Stanton's deal looks like a bargain. Now, a judge extension is going to kind of look like a bargain for like year one, two, three, maybe four gets a little weird, but mm-hmm. there will be a point when you look up and go, he's making $22 million a year and we're paying Robbie Ray $30 million a year in yeah. Seattle. Like what's going on. Um, so trust us. But again, we we understand all sides of it. We don't want to talk about judge destinations any more than you do. Should have probably put the timer on for two minutes here. We're going to be talking about this a lot. <laughs> again, Yankee fans, you're underselling this one a little bit. You maybe don't want to be thinking about it, but I don't think you guys thought hard, long and hard about this judge conversation last week. And so we're probably going to be talking about this more as the year goes on. Um, we'll, we'll cut ourselves off now, but this will not be the last judge contract chatter you hear. That is it. For this edition of the Yanks Go Yard podcast, we talked about the current right fielder and the greatest modern Yankees right fielder, and we love it, and we hope Judge gets there someday. Hey, let's retire 99. That's an easy one. Nobody wants 99, so no let's one. just extend Judge until we can retire his extremely cool number. Um, when we retire, like, 53, that's when it's going to get weird. It's like, who, what, that, that's not a good-looking number. Bobby Abreu, we're retiring. <laughs> um, make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Drop us a five star review along with a mailbag question. We'll be more than happy to answer it. Drop us a line on Twitter. Find us live on YouTube and on Twit. Uh, Two o'clock Eastern time, like I said, Mondays and Thursdays. Typically, it was Tuesday and Thursday this week during the regular season. Again, we're going to be experimenting. We're going to go live after games, during games, interesting times, whenever the two of us are available and we think it makes the most sense to have an honest conversation and open the airwaves uh, to commenters, viewers like you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Weiner because it is my given name. I got the handle in 2008. Weird kid in my freshman hall who ended up being very nice. Said you guys should all join Twitter. I said, I have no idea what that is and I don't care. Why is it different than a Facebook status? Um, it, it barely is, honestly, but it's a very popular company even to this date. But that's where you can find me. It's my full name. I probably could have snagged like at Adam W or something. But honestly, that also looks weird. So I'm glad I have this. Thomas Garanante, where can the people find you? Ooh, at Tommy's underscore takes. Um, you can find us on yanksgoyard.com. All the written content is there. We're having a great time. You can talk to us on the official Yanks Go Yard Twitter account as well, at Yanks Go Yard FS. I asked you guys for fucking questions today, and nobody said anything. No. There's 4,000 followers. What is anyone doing? Don't you want your questions answered on a very niche podcast about the New York Yankees? Um, figure it out, dude. You're on you're on social media every day, and you're not going to trick me and tell me that you're not because I know you are because this is all anybody's doing. Um, don't trick us. Yeah, don't. Uh, one more thing about Paul O'Neill that I forgot to mention. We'll end on a good note here. Um, Ilya Sports yeah. Bureau uh, excited me today. I love these stats. Um, call them irrelevant, call them, you know, kind of, uh, what, what, what's the term that we use you know, nitpicking or, um, you know, s- fucking stat cutting, like whatever it is, whatever it is to make your narrative more of, yeah. uh, you know, a supported argument. But anyway, O'Neill played nine season for the Yankees, 
1993 to 2001. Over that span, he ranked first on the team in RBIs with 858 and doubles, 304, and was second in hits, 1,426, home runs, 185, extra base hits, 503, and runs, 720. Four championships, so don't tell me he was the sixth or seventh or eighth best guy on that Yankees team throughout the dynasty. He was very much an integral figure who was arguably the best offensive player as well. So there it is. I think that's a good closing argument for what we talked about today. Um, And just enough with the disrespect, just be happy for people who did good things and are being rewarded for good things. That's your positivity uh, for today, folks. It took me a very cherry picking is the word. It took me a very yes. long time to get there too. I, I was like, I, I didn't have it when you were struggling. And then I finally <laughs> got it. I was like, oh, fuck. He's already like all the way along, but it, the, no cherry picking there, but basically the best of the best put O'Neill in monument park, give Whitey and Yogi their monuments and put Bernie Williams in the hall of fame. The real one, the Cooperstown one, Tony Oliva could go in. Love that guy. Bernie Williams can go into Jim Cott can go in. David Cohn can go in. We'll see you on Thursday with more spicy takes. Maybe the lockout will be finished. Or maybe I'll have my head stuck in a a construction cone. I don't know. (laughs) One of the two. See you on Thursday. Aw, you didn't have to go so all out for my birthday. Yes, we did. Because birthdays are about showing your friends how much you care for them and how grateful you are for their... This is Jamie from Progressive. No, this is a great time. Progressive protects you 24-7. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry that happened. <clears throat> Jamie. Can you hold on one second? Uh, I gotta take this call, but remember, birthdays are about togetherness. Contact us 24-7 on the phone, online, or on the mobile app. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Covered subject to policy terms. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.